Yo, what's up? It's your girl, Father Longlegs. You know me, Daddy T. I got a couple announcements. Just gonna zip through them real quick because this is a juicy little app. And when I say juicy, I mean we're talking about bots. You know that. We're talking about bots. That's right. And when I say bots, I don't mean the bot kind of bots you're talking about, like Futurama robots or even sex bots. I'm talking about the singularity, the interconnected web and consciousness of our human and mechanical counterparts and if you don't understand what I'm talking about that's okay um, I promise the episodes not all that abstract um, I have very lovely friendly um, confidant and follower who kindly replied to a post I made sharing an episode of the daily podcast talking about how um, a lot of machine learning and facial recognition is biased. Uh, and when I say biased, I mean racist because they use this in law enforcement. And uh, while he agreed with that part, he um, corrected something that I got wrong, which I humbly uh, accept I was wrong, is that there is actually quite a bit of diversity in terms of in the people programming it. So it's quite an international world. Um, but the reason they become so biased is, well, we get into it in the episode. Um, it's not necessarily the people programming are biased. It uh, has to do with many things, including the way we recognize patterns, the way we supervise learning, and the way um, we sort of categorize things based on what humans already wrongfully categorize things as. Uh, so we get into all that uh, before, you know, I, I would love to hear your thoughts, by the way, if you guys got through the episode and you have any thoughts or questions or things that you don't understand or want me to talk more about, let me know, write me. It's tellmeanythingpod at gmail.com. Um, and to all that, I'll just also say uh, I share a lot of opinions and I'm very vocal and open about this. My opinions are constantly changing, but they're always backed up by how I feel now with, uh, I try to back it up, not randomly. So that being said, you know, I'm constantly growing and changing. So if, uh, if I do shift my thoughts uh, be and because you guys share something with me, I'm very grateful for that. Like, this is a good example. This guy told me, um, corrected something of mine, and I, I built on that. So uh, at the end of the day, uh, I would say if you guys are interested in this, just think for yourself, think critically, take in information, but don't necessarily take my word as gospel because obviously I have a specific human experience as well that's probably different from yours. Um, and I want to know about yours too. Uh, the reality is people in power just need to be responsible whether or not you know, bots are good or bad is fun to talk about, but people need to be responsible. Okay, that's the episode intro, but um, I got something else for you. I got merch. Oh yeah, I promised this was coming, and it is here. I made hats that say, cancel me daddy. Um, yeah, don't ask why. I mean, I'll tell you. There's no real good reason besides I made a tweet. Sounded funny. People encourage me. People, I mean you, confidants, who I love. You guys are enablers, <laughs> though, because you encourage me to be as weird as possible uh, in a way where I feel like I would for sure not get a date to the prom if I acted this way in high school. But um, this is the true me. So if you guys like these hats, you can check out photos of them. Um, I got uh, I got the physical hats here with me. I'm holding one right now. They're beautiful. I love them so much. Um, and I have one. I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm posing with one on my Instagram if you want to see what it looks like at Larissa T. Um, but... I got a special deal for y'all. If you uh, want to buy a hat uh, and you're a confidant and you hear this message, go order one online, but in the promo code, enter confidant, okay? Confidant, as in like you are my confidant 
as in all the listeners of this podcast are my confidant. That'll get you 10% off. That's the friends and family discount uh, because I love you so much. Um, there are a limited supply. If this goes well, I may order more, but it'll really depend on how it goes. So um, don't wait. P- uh, place your order. It's all secure through PayPal. And as of now, all shipping is included in domestic and Everything else is all written there on the site. So go to TeresaLeeComedy.com slash shop. You will be able to get all the info there and fill out an order form that is out now. Um, Cancel me daddy hats. And uh, I just sent out the newsletter, confidant, super confidant newsletter last night. So if you're listening to this and you join the newsletter this month, you should have received it in your inbox. If for some reason you did not, please let me know. Um, sometimes when people sign up, they don't give me their actual email because your, your PayPal uh, email may be different. So if you have a different email than your PayPal email, just put it in the comments when you're signing up. If you want to sign up for October's Super Confidant newsletter, email me. I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> PayPal me, paypal.me that slash you can tell me anything. That's paypal.me slash you can tell me anything. And that's $5 or more. Um, you can join one month, two months, whatever, as much as you want. But um, just before the fifth of the month, $5 or more that month will get you on this month's list. Um, we tell you October is always a fun one because it's my birthday month. Uh, I'm going to try to do another solo episode. Don't know what's going to happen next, but I am cooking up some um, socially distant uh, uh, plans to keep this Halloween spirit alive in my neighborhood. So I might talk about that if that all goes well. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I love you so much. Uh, I know it's just a wild time out there and I'm feeling it. I'm sure you guys are too. If you ever need someone to talk to, you can always DM me, tell me anything pod on Instagram or email me, tell me anything pod at gmail.com. Love you. Enjoy. You can tell her. You can tell her anything, she's a real good listener, you can tell her anything. Yo, what's up? It's your girl, Father Longlegs. This is Daddy T. You know me. This is You Can Tell Me Anything, um, the podcast that's kind of evolved from a confessions comedy podcast to really me learning about everything there is to try to get ahead of the uh, fall of democracy. Um, no, that's an exaggeration, or is it? I don't know. Maybe our guest today can enlighten me a little bit uh, because I have a special guest today, kind of following the trend of edifying myself about like technology and machine learning. Um, actually, this uh, my guest today replied to a story I shared to politely correct me in a in a way that was not uh offensive i know it's so t- tough when you reach out to someone to correct someone but it actually i say this because i don't want people to get the wrong idea it was very helpful and then i said you should come on the pod and explain more about your expertise which is machine learning and tech and all this stuff i'm interested in that i talk out of my ass about so i'm going to introduce my guest today um it is doug clark he's a media technologist and also a uh, artist of his own he does photos he's a musician he's done comedy and tv shows what's up doug how are you Good. How you doing? Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, I like to start by asking for a good confession just to get started on a positive note, you know, before you scare me with the singularity. Is there something good you <laughs> want to confess? Um, maybe just that, uh, you know, with 
COVID has been a little hard because the world is locked down a bit and I love to travel. I've been to 43 countries so far. Oh, wow. Um, What's your favorite? Been, say it again. What's your favorite that you've been? Uh, maybe Spain or Japan always comes to mind. Bulgaria nice. is up there. <laughs> and most recently I spent time in North Korea, which is a little Whoa. interesting. And, um, yeah, what were you doing in North Korea? Uh, to be honest, I was invited uh, as kind of a tag along with some other friends. Uh, they said they had Dennis a connection Rodman? and I can get in. And yeah, we went through like this <sighs> Spanish guy who lives in China. Whoa. And uh, flew from Beijing, left everything in Beijing. Like I literally brought a book and a camera that I had pre-approved and that's it. No phone, no nothing. Jeez. And spent, a, spent some time over there exploring the country with this, these guides, these North Korean and Spanish guides. But Interesting. Anyway, uh, uh, I feel like I'm like trying not to un un open that box because I'm like there's probably so much there but if we get there I mean I don't know well, well I guess quickly because I am and now I'm very my curiosity is peaked I have talked to people who've gone there uh, mostly writers who yeah were tagging along with a friend who had credentials and stuff but um, mm -hmm. what uh, yeah I mean were you there like for fun is that the tourism kind of branch that they like extend to foreigners to show how everything yeah. is normal there okay it and really was yeah it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't so much focused on everything being normal but definitely focused on highlighting the, the mm. positives and <laughs> and traveling to very distinct sites to say like hey look at, at least we got this or you know we're doing great here so, was yeah, it definitely. strange i mean did you get did you were you able to get an accurate uh like image of everything or did they really just like usher you around to s approve places i feel like i did get an accurate image because it's very hard to hide things in plain sight yeah meaning that uh like one of the things i know is that there's very very few people kind of in the country i mean hmm. we went to many different cities and i saw so few people um but i really got to know my host my north korean hosts and really we, we i kind of became i think their favorite in the group I'm just very open. And I just love talking a lot. And they allowed me to take more pictures than probably anyone. I have about 2,700 photos out of there. A lot of stuff I wasn't Whoa. supposed to take pictures of. So I can point into a photo blog later. <laughs> yeah, I'll link yeah, that. That sounds interesting. I mean, did they say there was anything you couldn't talk about or post? Or they were just like, hopefully you yeah. liked our hospitality so much. It was more stuff they were almost embarrassed about. Meaning like they said, do not take picture of any of the military. Because when you really look up close to like the soldiers, they're all wearing the kind of these almost like cheap felt suits. They have no oh, armaments right. at all, no individually. Don't take pictures of construction or anything that's not looking great. You know, the buildings don't look that great. It's more like just trying to kind of like hide there. Wow, that's like when you're like going through your phone and you're trying to show your friend someone you're dating. You're like, not that picture. Hold yeah. On. <laughs> I mean, I'll find a good one. Ugh, not this one. No, it's the wrong angle. I swear, he's really cute usually, but. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. That's so wild. I mean, gosh, I mean, I went to China, different. I've been to China a couple times in different areas, but I will say like what you when you said um, there's not a lot of people, which mm. obviously China is full of people, but there's certain areas that feel like that, especially in the uh, like in the French Quarter in um, Shanghai. There's really nice, fancy areas that have these huge department stores. I remember taking videos on my phone because they really encourage like if you just look like you're a tourist who's like, oh, this is cool for you to take pictures. Um, if you look like you're being sketch about it, they'll they'll get mad. But uh, I can't find these photos anymore because I think I, my phone crashed. But it was wild because there's like so many. It's so fancy, so, so luxurious. And there's a ton of like employees there like cleaning every couple of feet. And there's just like so few sh actual shoppers or uh, 
citizens. It's a lot of like tourists. So you kind of get this yeah, sense yeah. that it's like this facade for, I mean, it's real and that like you can go in and buy a Gucci bag, but like I wasn't, it's all stores. I'm like, I can't afford this and there's nobody here. So how are these shops open? They're clearly subsidized by the government. Yeah, there's a very strange, I mean, it's funny to equate this to like a, a Gucci bag or something, but I was there on Kim Jong-il's birthday. Oh, God. And part of the activity was to go view his body. Oh, no. And so um, they brought us in, and it was a room full of all these, like, foreign dignitaries and different people, like, and I was talking to people from Australia and Canada and all this. And then we, they kind of line us up. We go in. We have this protocol to, like, bow. He's in a glass coffin. It's very, like, Snow White-ish. And, <laughs> and then you go through. But then after that was done in the morning, they kind of shoved everyone out. And then the place was empty. It shut down. I'm like, wait, that was it? There's no one else Viewing it's his birthday. This is I thought it was a all day, all country thing. And it was just it was just for us. It was Hmm. that was that was very bizarre. Interesting. Um (laughs) well yeah, hopefully, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. I mean, that's a cool experience you had. I'm sure there's a lot more that to you know, to the situation that if we start talking about I will uh probably get us way off topic. So let's go back onto topic. (laughs) Um, so I understand you're a, a media technologist. I just want to fill the mm-hmm. listeners in um, and maybe start from here of how we started talking because I mm-hmm. posted a story about, um, or it was a podcast. Uh, I believe it was Washington Square or, wow, Washington Square. Is it? Wait, sorry. <laughs> Wall Street Journal. I'm thinking, I went to NYU and we had Washington Square. Um, Wall Street Journal's think- tech news podcast or the Vergecast. I don't remember. New York Times. New York Times. New was York it? Times. Okay, maybe it was New York Times. <laughs> I think so. Gosh, there's a few that I listen to on the reg that I rotate. Um, so it's probably the New York Times if that's what you remember, the Daily. And mm-hmm. they... Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, that was them. Yes. Okay, so they kind of highlighted... Something I've been talking about is like... Like I roughly uh, kind of jokingly put like big data and tech and machine learning all together. I know they're all separate terms, but like there's sort of this world that a lot of people are confused by. But I've been um, talking a lot about how, you know, fundamentally a lot of tech we as we design it, it can actually the system itself can be flawed, but we start to trust it more because it's automated. So this episode talks about how there was facial recognition software being used by law enforcement. And yep. this was like the a best case scenario, I would say. Well, I wouldn't say best case, but best case scenario given the mistake where they um, the police like owned up to it. But, you know, obviously yeah. it happens often where pur- purposefully police get it wrong. So it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if when the computer gets it wrong, they just ignore it. But in this particular story, the police um, arrested someone who was just not even like he his face just came up because it looked like I guess the computer thought he looked like an actual suspect from a camera but so much yeah. it was so off that when they actually got him in there and looked at the photo he was like this is clearly not me and they looked again they're like oh yeah you're right and they just blamed the computer so I shared this story yeah. saying people should listen to it as an example of this and you responded saying oh because I also said I think a lot of systems are um, inherently biased because mm-hmm. they're created by uh, more of like uh, sort of a white norm, norm uh, like group of people. But uh, you corrected me and said that's not actually true. It's actually a pretty diverse um, field with a lot of, um, you know, people of color who are coding and writing and training. 
So I did correct myself there, but I wanted to hear more because there is an inherent bias. And I think you yes, also there are a lot of that. biases, but um, now I'm more curious, like, okay, so what is it about this tech world that feels so limiting that becomes homogenous, even if yes. there's people from d diverse backgrounds, um, as someone from the Bay, I kind of understand that feeling of like, like aesthetic diversity, that's not truly mm -hmm. diversity of thought. So mm -hmm. anyways, that's a long monologue, but my point is this is how we met and I'd love to start there. So um, yeah, can yeah. you tell me a little bit more about what you know about like your experience working here and, and, and how um, these systems become so biased? Well, overall, I mean, I think the thing I really wanna highlight in, the, in this conversation is that um, you said it, you had a great statement right there where you said that uh, technology, the technology, new technology is flawed, yet we somehow trust it a little more because it's automated. I mean, that, that, I didn't, I never thought of that statement as is, but that's, mm. that's one of the most perfect statements around what we're talking about. And I personally, well, in a way, we very... kind of trust, sorry, I just want to add to that because, uh, yeah. in a way, that is how I feel about, um, parenting. I mean, I, so much of this pod mm -hmm. is talking about our patterns that we learned from childhood and so much of my own, like, growth in the last year, I would even say, because, Two years ago, I was like still blaming my mom jokingly, but real, really. But now I'm like, I truly forgive anyone who's like added to patterns I have and c kind of come out on the side where I'm like taking more uh, ownership of my code, if that makes sense. But I do yeah. think this I, this idea of like trusting the automation is uh, really like parallel to early development, like childhood. You have to, mm. for survival, trust your parents because you really don't know the world, but they're inherently flawed. But you don't, you're not allowed to realize that until you get older and have more skills. So your brain yeah. is kind of set up to trust them for yeah. safety. And I think we're kind of mirroring that a little bit with um, computers. Like instead of them being our babies, we're kind of treating them like parents when it should be the opposite. Right, right. It absolutely should be the opposite. It's funny because I always say when the parent thing, and to take your analogy a little further, I always say when I grew up, I said, oh, parents are just adults who have a few more years experience than we do. So they're really not these like super figures. They're just a little more advanced. Now, when we talk about computers, like you said, it's the opposite. We're actually looking up to them, but they're they're just babies. They're, they're just, you know, all these algorithms are learning from us, right? Yeah. And so uh, I did want to get into some detail. And what I wanted to do was also kind of state my position on it. Um, I, I'm, I'm one of those really weird, I don't know if there's anyone like me, but like a technologist who's actually very anti-technology, very critical of technology. Um, I kind of long for the days where we just read books and look at maps and have conversations well, in person. Well, maps are technology. Um, what do you define as technology? I guess I define it as like innovation. You know, are you against like electronic and... technology? Because it, to me, like technology captures innovation and mm -hmm. a map is an innovation. I think what I'm talking about for me, it's like almost like tactile experiential versus okay. simulated, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of, that kind of boundary. Um, but when I'm critical of on technology side is really ethics behind technology. So I think that yeah. in other um, things you've posted, I mean, it's attracted me a lot just being very critical of like uh, big tech like Facebook and, and Amazon about their practices and kind of what they know they're doing versus what they uh -huh. purport they know they're doing to Congress, things like that. I mean, it, it really, those are some topics that really can be, get me going. <laughs> but <laughs> I want to hone in specifically on machine learning and kind of um, what we know about it, how it kind of came about, the ethics a little bit behind it. Um, I have some kind of principles that maybe we could start with that okay, are more sure. like fundamental. Yeah, yeah. let's start. So, let's start with your principles. 
So like machine learning um, is really, it's the ideas have been around for actually a very long time, probably since the seventies. A lot of the principles that we actually mm -hmm. work from are that old, they're, they're 50 year old ideas. Uh, the reason why we're able to actually uh, look and implement them now more has to do with the computing power that we have now, mm -hmm. meaning that um, in order to do a good machine learning algorithm, you need a huge amount of parallel yeah. algebraic processing that's where gpus have come into play meaning um gpus are like basically computer graphics cards because they have to render a whole screen kind of at the same time then that allowed the parallel processing that enabled things like machine learning i won't get too into the deep tech uh, about that no worries i mean we sort of have a background <laughs> of this um but in terms of yeah i'm more interested okay so let's get into because i know we can get really get lost in sort of yep. like the big ideas here. Um, I think overall people have an understanding that, or the way that, I guess if they've listened to all these episodes, they have an mm -hmm. understanding of the way machine learning works. And the way I describe it is more for layman's terms. I know this probably isn't the way you would learn in, uh, you know, at Stanford or whatever, but um, it's like neural nets, basically artificial neural nets. And yeah. in, in, instead of having one equation, it's, it's like a system that yes. adapts to the problem. Yep. So that's the way I've kind of described it. I often describe it as like, you know, when your brain is on acid or shrooms, um, you kind of <laughs> expand in your brain and it's actually, you're creating new equations to solve new problems and like rework the entire system, but you're still you. So it's not like you're changing your personality. I mean, maybe, but you're, I don't believe, this now gets into like nitty gritty of like what your belief system is. Personally, I believe no matter what you are, that's who you are. You're just finding like a ball that gets worn down is still a ball or, you know. So I think you're just um, getting either like improving your speed of like pattern recognition or processing, um, changing negative patterns to positive or vice versa, you know, if it's unfortunate. But you're still you. And I think that's the way I look at machine learning. And I think people yeah. are scared of it because a lot of people don't understand how the human brain works. And it doesn't yeah. help that... Um, really, like you say, tech is so separate. Like you, I think you have to learn ethics to get into this, but it's so much just like a checklist as opposed mm -hmm. to a true interdisciplinary. This is my understanding. So you can correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but yeah. as opposed to a true interdisciplinary field where you really understand like, like, the, like biology and like, like even marine life and the brain development, mm -hmm. I think has so much to add to the way we design tech, but there's only so much time that we have to teach people things. But I think that, um, I mean, I want to really you touch on something I want to touch on as well. I want to highlight a difference, though, between okay. kind of like the way that the human mind develops, like you're talking about the way that we learn and the way that like a machine learning application will learn. And the difference is, is that um, the most successful machine learning algorithms have to be generalized. They actually mm -hmm. have to address every case, every situation. So those inherent biases that get built in that we don't want, they're undesirable because they are a little more reflective of mm. kind of ourselves. Meaning that if I'm gonna, for example, um, teach a speech recognition software or something like that, then I, if I focus too much on my perception of the world and how I hear speech spoken, I'm not gonna have a very successful algorithm because mm -hmm. it's gonna not gonna recognize a lot of speech that I didn't take into consideration as I built the system, right? Maybe, and but so, I, I guess it depends on what your goal is. Because, for example, if we all if we assume that law enforcement is there to keep the peace and people safe, then yes, we mm -hmm. want generalization. But as we're finding now, there's more underneath the surface than has been, you know, previously reported. And it sometimes it is more about power or finding ways to continue a structure of power 
in which they okay. might not blatantly say this, but what what algorithms will get rewarded and the con- w- the contracts, you know, the big money is like the ones that do more what they actually want, even if they're not saying it. So we may lean closer to, you know, algorithms that reward more, you know, uh, I don't know, reward like uh, putting the burden of proof onto the, you know, um, suspect over the law enforcement or whatever. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, okay, yeah, let's get into specifics because... Um, sure. So... Y- Wait, did you say all your three principles? What are your three principles? I feel like I passed. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I had like three three oh, principles. Or what were your number. principles? Just, just, just. I mean, I, I, I think it's fine. We could just kind of progress through the conversation. Okay. But we can. What I was going to say though is that um, as far as uh, machine learning, to back up a little bit, a lot of the foundation is in academia. Mm-hmm. Academia is still kind of the the firm. Um, kind of stake in the ground of where this a lot of this stems from, meaning that it kind of doesn't matter who takes uh, and develops an application. So many principles have been shared among a global community of academics. And uh, that's because there's so many aspects of machine learning that have Mm -hmm. to be honed. Meaning that there's, um, you don't just end up training an algorithm. You actually have to build the algorithm first. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where I wanted to get a little bit into what data is available to kind of build an algorithm and then what data is available to kind of train an algorithm. And that's what gets into availability of that data rights, things like that. And then that could start to introduce biases. Sure. I don't want to get too in the weeds with it, but yeah. No, no, we want to get in those specifics. But, um, okay, yeah. one thing you said, so you talked about very academic, and I just want to sort of clarify that, because um, to mm-hmm. me, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm from the Bay, so I just happen to have touched on it peripherally, and maybe that's where, like, to me, I say, like, I'm a layman and I don't have any knowledge, but I do love reading about this and I've researched it for fun. Um, like I read Kaifu Lee's book and I think he has a good sort of accessible way of, uh, explaining it to people. Um, and I think that it should be something more like medical school where you have to, it's like a secondary, like you have to have a foundation of a humanities, but I know that's like, nobody wants to go to school and it's expensive for so long and you just want to get straight to it. And there's such a demand yeah. for, you know, yeah. to hire people that it's, yeah. it's more profitable to graduate school quickly and get in and take these classes exactly after yeah. um but then you do i think so much of like your life experience is going to influence the questions you ask when you're training and writing code that you just can't um you just can't teach truly until you've lived a bunch of different experiences and i'm you know, I'm barely correct in my approach to life so i can only imagine what a 22 year old straight out of you know school is going to be writing so and we're limited by what we're aware with and we're biased by our own perception in every respect, meaning that let's do a, actually write down into facial recognition. It's a good way to do it. Like, um, so in the beginning, yes, like there could be, um, you know, we see with our eyes, we have, you know, we have a, a three-dimensional color, you know, detailed view of a person's mm-hmm. face, right? Um, taking a full resolution photo into uh, an ML process, um, which they call computer vision, anything having to do with imagery. Um, it's not actually an efficient or or um, good way to process that and start to break down what would make a facial a face recognizable. Mm-hmm. What actually has to happen is a bunch of, like you said, like a bunch of different nodes that do different distinct operations. Mm-hmm. Also, there's something called convolutions. Convolutions are like where you have to actually break down the data into small, small chunks of data so you can even process that. Mm. Meaning that one convolution may, you know, 
take kind of a full, turn something into a full like grayscale, you know, like, and then say like you have different depths of, of, um, mm -hmm. you know, of, of saturation, color saturation. Another one may take, you know, like vertical slices and say, I see that, you know, these vertical lines that maybe that will distinguish what a, where a bridge of a nose is, where, you know, where your sides of your face are, your ears are, mm -hmm. like that. Another one for horizontal lines. It breaks it down so much into things that the computer will be able to process and that's where the academia comes into play and people have done you know published papers after papers about you know which convolutions work which neural networks work where you know you pair these different things in what order right and a lot of that is developed and done under circumstances and under examples of like who knows what they were using as their mm. materials to actually develop those ideas. So if they're in Asia, they're using a bunch of probably Asian faces that they had access to. If they're in Europe, they're probably using a bunch of like, you know, Eastern European faces and you know, whatever it is, right? It's like now, those apps about, from um, Russia that'd be like face app. They're just to collect yeah, yeah. faces, yeah. Yeah, and then that's the thing though, is that there's a little loophole. When you're developing your algorithms and you're developing these neural nets, you can kind of use whatever imagery you want. I mean, you could just scrape Google, you could do whatever because you're just, creating your 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 actual neural network you're not actually training it yet because mm -hmm. then you could throw away all that data and now if you want to train it that's where you have to use images and and training material that you know you have rights to that you have access mm -hmm. to so that's a really interesting distinction meaning that you know a lot of there's data sets that um, are publicly kind of available that these academic um, communities have put together for people like yeah. where they've they have kind of documented clearance of rights or whatever. Sure. But when um, you look at a training set, um, it can't reflect necessarily, like in the US, for example, like we have so many white people, so many, you know, black people, so many, you know what I mean? There's like this, 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 uh, this aggregation or this, this breakdown of kind of, uh, you know, population, right? Uh -huh. Like a, a neural network can't, if it's going to be effective in facial recognition, it, it can't reflect that, that, that breakdown. It has to have as many faces of whatever you want to capture as the other. Meaning you can't have like 60% white people than only 30% black people because that the neural network doesn't know mm. that that's a white person that doesn't know it. But I think this is where we can that. learn from neural networks. So I think there's kind of two, uh, two things you brought up. One is like mm -hmm. a very good point of like, where it's in the academic world, like everything has a cost, right? You can't just bring the computer out and live five years and ca capture every face. You have to actually get the faces. Yeah. So that is like a real problem. But the other part is like, I think as humans, as much as we are relying and, you know, in quotes, trusting automation, we also at the same time, paradoxically believe we're gods in a way. So like, yes, we yes. like, we think in designing the computer that we're already finished when really like, obviously humans have so much, to grow like within your own life your brain is constantly growing and i think one part we can learn from the machines is the way like maybe race isn't that important in how you perceive yeah. a person like if that's if we're having to teach a computer races like maybe yes. it was a, yes, exactly. a construct to begin with but then there are realities of different facial features that could actually yes. um, help like oh are there certain face types that um are more prone to allergies in the you know in the summertime and you know is there a way to hone that algorithm in to help i think this is where we get caught up with our biases because as a person mm -hmm. i might feel ethically as a person as a human being that's exactly what a human would say i'm not a robot um as a human <laughs> being i feel like 
you can get into some murky ethical territory if you're trying to do research on face types and you're constantly getting more of one, you know, one demographic or one ethnicity because of the way we perceive race. But yes, then exactly. as we yeah. talk about robots, like these robots are like, what's a race? And you're like, oh, let me yeah. teach you. And you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. Why? Why are we trying to teach yes. the robots how to be racist? <laughs> and that's the thing is that like, so let's say that I'm training, uh, providing training material. I think I'm doing a good job because I have mm-hmm. representation of, you know, grownups and children and males and females and, you know, non-gender specific and, and every race. But then the computer is just doing these convolutions, right? It's breaking down these images into this data. And maybe I've completely missed some other characteristic that is completely not based in race at all. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't, I'm not taking into consideration like genetic disorders or people Mm -hmm. with burns, people with scars, people with different Redheads, you know, they often get over. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so there's, well, that's true though, because the, the computer is not, like you said, it's not seeing the world the way that I've been raised to see the world. And so then if I, by simply doing this, these categories of representation that I think, you know, even Mm -hmm. if I think I'm doing a great job and I'm being super comprehensive with it to the computer, it's like, to the, you know, it's like what, what the way it sees the world, the computer vision sees the world, you could be missing huge swaths of groups. Yes. So therefore. You bring up such a good point because I've sometimes tried to, I have never quite put this fully into like this theory into words in a way that makes sense, but maybe I'll try now because it. Sometimes mm-hmm. thoughts ruminate and they're not quite cooked and I don't talk about them, but I'm like, okay, let me see if this one makes sense. So the thing is like, oftentimes you see in movies or even like, you know, in uh, like the trope of like, oh, what did this, like, you know, what did the robber look like? And they, the first thing people want to know is the race. Like, was it a white man, a black man? Mm-hmm. But right. then we all, and then also like working in Hollywood, I constantly get called in for ethnically ambiguous, even though I'm like, I think I read Asian. So I, I don't know, like it's truly a nightmare, but what that tells me is like it's not objective right someone could read as hispanic and they're not and then all of a sudden you have this like category and you're totally looking in the wrong place and i would say that's not a if what's the motivation to me is like when you're writing a computer code you're not doing it just because we want to see if we can make fake humans even though that's interesting to me like it costs too much money to just do it for fun so we're usually doing it with a purpose so that also informs me like, well, what's the purpose of a human brain for categorizing, right? At one point, it made sense to consider an entire race of people who are very different from you as enemies, maybe like when there was wartime, we're not quite in that time anymore and this might be an outdated uh, perception. But I have a follow-up uh, solution. I think, okay, so this is my theory. I think the way we perceive the world like you say like we're taught this way but there's also things we completely ignore that are still there like tall and short a very very tall person a very very short person you would probably like attach to your idea of them but for the most part when you think about your friends you're not like i've got five tall friends and four short friends and 10 medium friends like you just don't like it's not a category yes unless you know i well i don't want to generalize some you know maybe you're a very tall model who cares a lot you might notice it but if it's not at all on the top of your like characteristics list you might even just categorize it as like people taller than me people shorter than me or you might not even clock it at all even though the fact is there like that's what i would call a data set that exists that you not truly like process to make any um decisions with but a computer like you said needs to be trained right needs to be told what data sets to look for but wouldn't it make more sense if it if a facial recognition software was designed to find suspects to look for more objective facts like 
height like if you're looking for a man that's five eight right i mean if the computer let's say in this world the computer is right it's five eight that helps so much more than like he, i think he's black and it's like well what if you're wrong like we're trusting one person's opinion of race meanwhile you know they were just looking in a totally different race so that's what's baffling to me when i talk about bias is like we're training them based on our structures of the world and yes exactly like what would a computer think is more useful like i don't you know, know i mean it's funny because even thinking about that like i mean to be honest i don't want to put anyone's idea <laughs> i don't want to put any ideas in any law enforcement center or anything but even though like the way that someone walked in the video yeah. would be more useful way more than useful. you know <laughs> totally way more useful like uh like there's so many other things like um they're like are they do they have a smell? I mean, I I'm just thinking more objective yeah, things yeah. that exactly, would like exactly. follow yeah. that actual individual person and make like them unique, more distinct. A unique person, whatever, right? Yeah, as a per well, as as actually an identical twin, um, I do think about this mm. a lot because I think growing up, I've always yeah, like, tried to yeah. differentiate myself. But yeah, to a facial recognition software, I think we'd be the same. And how do you real even parts of our personality are the same? So we've always looked to differentiate ourselves through this like feeling of like. I don't know, is that the ego? I don't know. Like, how do I differentiate myself as a person in this world? And it's not looks, not for me, because I literally was born with an, you know, a copycat. So I think we um, overlook this. And I don't think it means the technology is flawed. I just think we have so far to go. But yeah. if we don't accept, we also personally as humans have these blind spots, I think we're going to be like, well, it's done. Because imagine if a computer was like, just telling us all how racist we were, I think it would make people uncomfortable. So people kind of stop before they push yes, past their blind yep. spots. And it's even tricky to even talk about this. I mean, even kind of prepping for this today, I'm like, I don't want to say anything that like, you know, tries to, yeah, that, that gets into that comfortable territory. But computers are, are like allowed to make into... mistakes. So I think that's one thing mm -hmm. that we don't allow ourselves to do. And for many reasons, someone in power should not be allowed to make as many mistakes as someone not, um, especially yep. if it's life or death. But I do think as like, like us having a conversation, I think that fear can be paralyzing. So I, I almost want to yeah. say like, put the fear aside and then, you know, obviously we'll both be prudent with, um, you know, I would never put something out that would make you sound bad. But to me, my instinct is that you're approaching this with a genuine, um, like thirst for knowledge and to understand. And I think that's following that thirst rather than following the fear is a stronger way to learn. Yeah. Well, I mean, my, my objective, and this is where we can kind of get into this later in the conversation, is that recognizing all of this, I always want to be very, very careful to recognize and fully understand where we are in reality so we don't misapply it. I mean, applying these very imperfect systems to something like law enforcement right now is so unethical to me. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's one one way to look at it. But one thing I do want to mention before we get there is, uh, do you know, you probably heard then, you probably discussed the Turing test. You know what that is, mm -hmm. right? So Turing test is like, you know, yeah, like to measuring a, kind to of fool a, a human. Yeah, measuring a machine. And that was actually how they started a lot of times. It's like, how well is this machine learning application doing? It's like, well, you compare it to a human under the same conditions. So like for facial recognition, you say, you know, you, you've given these people match up, you know, these faces to these people. How well does the human do? They're not going to do perfectly, right? Mm -hmm. So it used to be that you judge a machine learning algorithm by how close to a human it is. And that's turned out to be a really... <laughs> inappropriate weird way to judge it right. because of these things that we are part of what kind of humans are you looking at yeah well also yeah, exactly. there's a project at harvard i think and if anyone's interested it's just i think it's just a data collection so you will be given your data but it's 
You'll see what I mean. It's not bad. It's a, a cognitive bias research project where you can go take mm -hmm. different cognitive bias tests and, you know, it can be anonymous. But the idea is to, if you're willing to look at yourself, see what kind of biases you have. And there's anything from like yes, yeah. looking at queer people, looking at um, races, and it uses pictures. And it is, it is going to be uncomfortable because it's asking you to uh, judge by pictures. And the whole point is to just be, it's okay. Like it's, it's for research. And the idea is not to be right or wrong. It's to see where you fall compared to other people and to show how we're all different in perceiving um, different faces. I did it and it told me that I had a, a slight bias towards gay people over straight people. And I was like, that's, that seems about <laughs> right. Because <But laughs> yep. it, it does this thing where it tries to get you to press, um, like it'll first have you press like good, gay, bad, straight or whatever. And then it switches it. And then it sees like what's easier for you. And it's kind of like, a very very like rudimentary i don't think this test is very um advanced so i'm sure there's a lot of blind spots but it kind of highlights like if you're jumping really quick to click the one you already believe versus like it takes a second for your brain to be like wait bad it's gay no like, <laughs> so <laughs> but i think that you know this now learning that the Turing test is uh i mean like you said it almost confirms it almost uh, perpetuates that we want to instill these biases in these machine algorithms, machine learning <laughs> algorithms. It's like, as we get away from that, we can say, no, well, if we want to actually take human bias away from it, it means looking at, mm. at the objectives, at the training material as the machine would. As you understand that, then it becomes very, very difficult to come up with the training material that you need to do it properly under the constraints of the timelines that you're working with. <laughs> Well, so, so that's kind where... of telling it everything you you're kind of telling yourself everything I've ever known is, is may not be you're questioning everything which is good to do but at a certain level it can make you feel crazy it unravels everything but I um I just want to clarify like my opinion on all this is not that things are bad it's that things should progress so I actually think a lot of what you described mm -hmm. like the Turing test all this was kind of a necessary first step for us to get here yes, I don't think I, we I would have found yeah. these problems had we not taken that step and it's we're so much further into technology than we were like 20 years ago. And like you said, AI machine learning um, has been around for a long time, but it really didn't pick back up. Like there was a time when it was not that profitable to get into. And then, yeah. um, you know, it was all about hard, like, because uh, my dad used to work in Silicon Valley. So he was really into neural nets and then it was just a little early for this. And then it was all about like, you know, IC chips, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And now we're back because there's more capability. Yep. So I think that this is all necessary. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. But it's it's there's an inertia there that we have to really work through because you had like 50 yeah. years of some ideas. Then you get to really put them into practice. Now we're discovering these these unexpected, um, yeah. you know, components, and we have to kind of work to undo that while things are accelerating. So it, kind it does of like back to difficult. parenting. You can't really just undo yeah. it. You can make mistakes that people do all the time, but you can't just undo it. But you can work. You do the work to reprocess trauma and fix your relationships, but it's not like a simple button. But, okay, I have a question that's more positive. So given all okay. of the biases, <laughs> can you give me, or do you, are there examples of like kind of uh, like apps or groups that are doing this ethically that you think would be a good way to highlight how to do it? Because I don't really think the answer is that this just sucks overall. I think that's just, we have to be like aware of how we're handling it. But I imagine there's people who are a little more socially conscious or does it not quite exist? And what would that look like? I mean, it does exist, but it, it, it's, it's in much less flashy applications than we care about as much. Um, like, for example, I mean, I didn't want to get into like kind of the work that, that my 
company workers, coworkers doing stuff. But I mean, there's like things like driving monitoring systems. So when you're driving, it makes sure that you know you're staying awake, and if you're kind of nodding off, then it lets you know, and you know you gotta oh, pull cool. over, you know, things like that, or like things like you know for home security where it detects, you know, is there is that really a person outside your house, or is it just the, the tree, the animal, the oh, wind, nice. whatever, you know, <laughs> like you know, incorporating sound. Uh, things like security where it incorporates the sound of your voice and your fingerprint and you know like like multi-factor uh, oh. authenticating different things so there are like almost like just just little simple uh little yeah tricks that really could enhance people's lives and functions and things that they deal with every day it's that when we get into these you know more yeah hairy situations mm. with facial recognition where you're really identifying like a distinct person as opposed to mm. a behavior or a you know a, a, a you know a situation right yeah. that's where i think that 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 gains more attention right yeah. but it also gains a lot of that negative attention because there's so many so many ways it can go go wrong it's almost like uh i mean this might be a bit of a jump but it's oh so you can totally correct me and you don't have to agree with me but it's almost yeah. like when there are when we're trying to create a system that's like a one-stop shop like an answer or secret key to everything that's where we fail like i mean that's kind of literally what amazon sounds like and yeah. then you get these specific ones where it's like, oh, a, uh, you know, an app that's designed to keep you awake while you drive. Like, there's probably so much that goes into that because already your body's trying to do that. Like, but yeah. um, it's so much more specific and it's not meant to be a foolproof. Like, you you should still try to stay awake. You know what I mean? So yes, exactly, I think when exactly. we rely mm -hmm. only on these things, then we kind of lose a little sight of uh, just how flawed our own perceptions are. Like, even if you saw... I don't know. I love to ask questions because it's like even like I'm a twin, right? Like even if you saw yeah. uh, someone rob you and they were looked exactly like the person, you're like, that's them. But then what if I told you they're twin? What if now I told you they're triplet? Like it could right. just there's right. so many. Yep. It's not that you're wrong or even that you're biased. Like you only knew what they look like. But if I yep. suddenly revealed the there's information, there's a Turing test, you know? <laughs> yeah, but let's say we're now yeah. in a, a town of twins and you already knew you were in a town. You might already be like, oh, hold on. Is this a twin? So you're yeah, not stupid, yeah. like you're not stupid for right. not knowing everything, but you actually do process information. So like if you went into a town that had, you know, you're not allowed in unless you've got at least three other multiples who look like you, then when you get robbed, you're immediately going to be like, okay, well, I'm going to assume that they have to be, there's more of these. Yeah. So I think that we, we forget that, that like computers aren't stupid, but we just don't always have all the info. Yeah. And I think that this is where I get really critical of, uh, you know, like someone like uh, Facebook, a company like Facebook, because when you think about they're the only ones really out of like, you know, when I think of like the big tech ones that I, that I worry about with machine learning, it's like Apple, Facebook, Amazon, um, you know, Tesla, like all those. It's with Facebook. It's like from the get go. You know, and when, you know, when people are signing up for Messenger and things, they freak out because like, oh, they're saying they own my image and all that stuff. And uh -huh. it wasn't that. They weren't going to like take your image and sell it to someone else for like an ad in some other country. It was that they're saying you were allowing us all rights to use your image for whatever training, whatever things that we want to do. So when you look at Facebook, they literally have everyone's data to the nth degree yeah. and no one else does <laughs> to that, to well, that and even if you're not on it no one a else friend has of yours it. is on it and they upload a oh, picture yeah. of you then Absolutely. you're on there and they can even tag you yeah. so it's like and 
yeah. even if they don't tag you, like you're showing up in multiple friend groups. Now, like if a computer can be like, oh, so and so tends to hang out with these three people who are all on Facebook, who are all going to this party, most likely she'll be there. Mm-hmm. Like it's so much. It's that's why I'm not offline is because even though I am very conscious of privacy, I am just like, well, they want to know, they'll know. So I'm just going to be more conscious about about my about like how I live my life. Like I don't really think like what's online, what's offline, because I kind of think it's all connected at this point. So I just think, okay, I'm going to, if there's anything I don't like out there, I should probably just not be that at all to begin with, which is, I think what we should be doing when it comes to computers, but I think we're more focused on image than actual behavior. Yeah. But I think that what happened, what comes with that though, is that there's this real, like everything that Facebook creates, you know, when Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just the, uh, image recognition theme, it's everything. Uh, the communities they create, the all their algorithms, they're all reflecting this human behavior and and meeting certain objectives. So like, for example, I mean, to go off a little bit like on, on uh, the way that you kind of create echo chambers in Facebook, right? It's like, okay, the algorithm says, whatever the person seems to excite the person, whatever gets them clicking more, whatever gets them on more, like feed more of that back to them, right? And so you do that and it turns out that it's a lot of things that are like political, a lot of things that are mm-hmm. anger inducing, a lot of things that like are triggering, you know, literally, right? And so with that comes um, a huge responsibility to deal with it. and to do it in a way where you're transparent with your users and with the people that, that are taking advantage of that. And what happens is when you're outside of that and you're Mm -hmm. trying to do like ethical and machine learning in ways that we're talking about where, you know, we recognize these issues, try to do better. Right. It's like, it's hard when you have this, like a kind of, monolithic behemoth of like that has all the data you're trying to get some of the data you're trying to mm-hmm. model things correctly I mean, i'm not complaining here but <laughs> i guess i'm uh, i'm not sure what i'm getting at but it's 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 a challenge right well do you really think because here this is more of like a devil's advocate question and i'm sure it's not really how the industry looks at it but do you really think more data is always better data this is kind of a loaded it question, is because huh? <laughs> yes because because you because more data is a diversity of data and that's that's where things are really key. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. Like back to the faces, if I have a billion, you know, kind of, you know, white male, um, you know, over thirty faces, it doesn't do me much good, you know, mm. to, to generalize me, applications. Well, I, I guess so, I should phrase it in more. Okay, I'm gonna try to make my my question more specific and not so philosophical and big because there's so many big questions. But I can always try to bring it. There's like a reason I'm asking this is because everything to me um, is going to be layered or filtered through my lens, which is more about like how I interact with the world as a human. And, and I know that's not how everyone views technology, but I, that's how I do it. So again, that's my bias, my cognitive bias. But I ask that because as a human, when I view my data, like so-and-so for example, if you're someone in your twenties and you've dated, like, let's say you had like eight, shitty relationships and uh that would be like more data right and be like i know what i want i know what i don't want but they're all shitty like repetitive patterns of your like you know unsolved trauma from childhood right let's say you just constantly end up in these insecure attachments versus you really take the time after one bad relationship to like learn about yourself and go what happened here let me dissect this let me understand what are my patterns what are their patterns non not victim blaming but just really like doing an audit and then i hate that i said audit because that's how what scientologists no, say I, I understand and, that, yeah. but it, that's very annoying that now i kind of get why they use that word um 
<laughs> you do a like <laughs> you do a little credit check on your your emotions and afterwards you go okay so actually what i really am looking for is love and respect or whatever and i don't have that so now you have your second data set which is specifically looking for love and respect but this is with a goal in mind and i know not all algorithms start with those but to me i would argue that more data is not better data if you don't know how to like like filter it and drive it closer to your goal. But that's but that's more poor poor utilization of that data. I think that more data is still useful. Um, let's say like uh, I do something I did want to touch on is um, you know everything we're talking about as far as machine learning. I didn't mention this earlier. It's called supervised learning. That's kind of ninety nine percent of the applications out there. That's when you kind of know the outcome, meaning that you know like given this I need this, given this I need this, and you have to. That's the training, right? You're supplying both of those things. There's a there's a whole area called unsupervised learning where you kind of create something out of nothing and there's a little bit of that, but it's not nearly as, as understood. So given supervised learning, given everything we're talking about, in a way, all you can ever do to start is to take data that you have and, and describe it better and recreate the same thing over and over again. Hmm. There's very little room for creatively going somewhere unless you decide then to creatively go somewhere and very purposely take the known data and then goes use supervised learning to say, but I want to take it to this unknown better place. A really good example I could think of is this um, is uh, something that Facebook uses. It's where you can take a 2D picture and then make it 3D. So that's something that is, uh, it uses supervised learning. What the, how they do that is, um, you know, they'll take a thousand pictures, I mean, a thousand million pictures, um, which was taken stereoscopically, meaning taken with two cameras. So you get a true 3D image, but then they train that given only the left one, mm. this is your result, left one, this is your result, right? Huh. And then you can create something new out of less, less, you know, create something more out of less. But you don't, you need more data to do that because as long as you're programmed it, to be, you know, to, to with the correct objective, with the right direction, recognizing what you have, more data will still get you there better than less data. That the first sense. thing I thought of when you said making 2D pictures 3D was just like, oh my God, Snapchat is going to be such a nightmare once they figure out how to do, like just like all the unsolicited 3D dick pics. Um, <laughs> but I, okay, I think that's really interesting. That's not quite what I meant, but I think that definitely now opens up a new door of something to consider for me. But I think I was thinking more like, I'm thinking in terms of like our limitations, like instead of like, like how you describe, like uh, you can't just feed um, a computer like 5% of this, 10% of this, you have to feed it all. But also it makes you start yeah. wondering, but there are all these questions, right? Like, do we have all like, do it, like the case of the relationships, I'm going to use the example. If I only as a human had these shitty relationships and never had the good uh, model of love, I might think that, I've got a good sample size and I kind of can now figure out like the best and worst case scenarios based on all my data because I would think men suck or whatever. Like, I mean, this is like yep. a very general sort of basic girl, uh, hetero, whatever, just to keep things simple. Cause I'm like very homogeneously in this, in this scenario dating, like kind of similar people, but thinking they're different. But now let's say I open up with new information, learning like, oh, okay, the pattern I've been doing is actually a bad model. And there's this other model I didn't even know existed, but was like, for whatever reason, never drawn to or kept from me. And now I've like opened up, like, it's almost like you unfolded un, uh, a brochure and you're like, oh, there's actually more to this map than I thought. So now it's not that the more data was bad, but the data was all coming from one corner. Right. But how do you know that? Like, we don't know that. So I'm saying like sometimes, mm -hmm. 
it could use more guidance. I think humans do know a little bit more than we think, but I think it takes a lot of like self But that's right. But that's what we're saying that that's where maybe machine learning algorithm can take you away from the human mistakes we keep making, meaning that, you know, we know patterns, we know how to repeat them. If the machine learning algorithm is meant to just keep repeating the pattern, it's going to do that. That's what I'd say is like a kind of a bad route algorithm for this application. But if it sees that you have this pattern and it's happened 20 times in the last, you know, five years, mm -hmm. and then it knows that there's a better way given someone with that pattern, then it could lead you somewhere better. And then that's where I'm saying that more data is better. Yes, where you want. I agree. Oh. More, but yeah, I think it's kind of widens the way we think about it because, mm. um, and it, even I mean, now I'm opening up a whole nother thing. But just even the idea of law enforcement and this facial recognition, like, is yeah. the goal just to find the suspect, or is there a world where like the next goal is to have less crime, right? So like, are there ways? I mean, not right away, but are there ways as you develop this AI to actually build it there instead of having like two different algorithms? Like, and there, I think there are because. Not only, like you said, could you monitor um, things that we didn't think of? Like, is there a pattern we didn't even recognize? Like, oh, people tend to come rob this store right after, uh, right before rent day. You know, oh shit, maybe that we have a problem with, um, you know, a housing crisis. And these are things that obviously I know it's not the law enforcement's job to think about, but a computer with who's not getting paid more or less to recognize different patterns can just be like, found this, found this, found this. Like, found out that, uh, you know a lot of people come in and tend to be like injured so maybe there's a discrimination for them getting work or they tend to be this and it starts recognizing like across all the stores in this area that tend to be robbed around this time and actually this is uh landlords are getting richer based on this data and maybe there's a disparity and and it starts yeah, yeah. seeing the things that we as humans see, that's where don't see yeah, it's almost like that's where like the almost the ethics of our own objectives and our own patterns and then we want machine learning to help that to help reinforce that that's where it gets dangerous right that's where it gets bad meaning that like for example when i'm thinking again about the uh the law enforcement using facial recognition it's like i mean i know of a company very particular and i i won't say i'm just a bad mouth company but they were featured on a on a uh, john oliver episode so you can look them up um they had a they they, they sell to law enforcement right Something that they do is they, again, when they develop their algorithm, they scraped every picture on Facebook, every picture on the internet, they use that to demo. And so it's like, oh, look, you can get any face. And it's like, now let's train it with your database. And they have all the driver's license pictures and um, from the DMV, they have all the mug shots that they've captured. Those are like extremely one-dimensional face mm -hmm. front, you know, like whatever. Law enforcement doesn't really care about how limited that is. They don't mm -hmm. care about, you know, they're like, oh, we have this new tool and it's going to help us catch more bad guys, whatever it is. It's the same. I'm, what I'm saying is it's the same natural bias, the same procedural bias, the same, you know, like good old police work, you know, all the stuff that that has never worked. It's not going to work even if you have machine learning in it. You're just reinforcing those same simple yeah. biases, those same simple procedural you know, things where there's so much more nuance that could be explored. It's like, they're not really yeah. interested. You know? well, one thing that you brought that up, sense. or one thing that you made me think of when you're talking about law enforcement and bias is like, even our own, okay, so this, go with me on this, because I'm not defending yeah, yeah. police, but I'm just trying to, a lot of the way I think about machine learning is like, I reflect it back to myself and go, could this inform me to think in a different way? And then I explore it and then I come back. So it's not, I'm not afraid of changing my point of view by looking at the other side. So one thing that I kind of discovered when thinking about this is like, uh, what's the word? Anecdotal evidence. So humans tend to have mm -hmm. these anecdotal biases where like, if I oh, as yeah. a civilian, not a law enforcement, and I'm, I've you know, fortunately never been shot at, but let's say I got a gun pulled out on me 
twice in 10 years. I would consider that a lot. That's a lot for me, right? As someone who's now never been pulled again. And then meanwhile, there are probably people who have had this happen so much that it's nothing. So like that doesn't actually say much about like the effect it has on you because two versus 10, but if you're in an area where you're like constantly pulling out guns, you may not be sensitive to that. So a computer though um, can actually parse out like in a lot of data, like, you know, measure the data of like emotions and everything and uh you know how often people are doing it and just for these um like outliers and to me when i think about the biases a lot of law enforcement have because they do and you know i obviously i'm i am generalizing but also it is true it's statistically true uh (laughs) and one thing we don't number number one bias is trying to be efficient trying to be like like gets well yes but the the other thing we don't time which is which is you know right but the other thing we don't think about is law enforcement are humans like us with these cognitive biases and okay if you're in law enforcement you're probably more at risk for getting into violent scary situations so even if you're like uh you know quote unquote one of the good ones or whatever let's say you're like totally unbiased which is not possible everyone's biased but let's say you're like on the spectrum a bit pretty like a socially aware grew up in a very like diverse of diversity of thought area like you really have been exposed to a lot of people of different backgrounds and you know beliefs and you generally approach the world in a kind way even then as someone in law enforcement you may run into just more situations where you're caught off guard and you have to be on your guard and so now your like cortisol levels are just higher in certain situations yes. so even if you don't think you're biased like if you have like if you're someone who has like five black people pull a gun on you because you're in a situation where there's guns, you may have a bias without even realizing it, that you think black people are dangerous, even though like you're just putting yourself in a situation like that. And that's anecdotal evidence that I think a computer could quickly discard because a computer would be like, that's five people in how many people in the world. But as a person, you don't count all the people who didn't pull a gun on you. You don't count all the black people who didn't pull a gun on you because it's too much yeah. data. You can't process that. That's what I'm saying is that, but they're feeding with the, with the databases that exist already. So that's like the bias being built yeah. in right right away. Meaning that when that company sells to law enforcement, they cannot take the world's data and they sell can't. it to them. They can take the algorithm that they've developed, maybe with the world's data that's really robust, give it to the police, but then the police have the rights to use only their data to feed it, to train it. You're kind so of describing like back to parenting, how parents pass on patterns. And if you aren't aware, you just continue the patterns. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm okay. I mean, I mean, I don't know. And I really like hammering that home, but it's just, I'm kind of like opening my eyes to that now too. But um, I'm curious. So what for you was that moment? Like when you were learning this, did you have a moment like where you're like, aha, or like something just like really blew the door open where you're like, whoa, I never thought about things this way. This totally changes things or like, I mean, all, all it's done for me is just, is just let me know that we're just scratching the surface. And mm-hmm. this is really, truly a, a whole new world that has to be uh, looked at with very fresh eyes and where we do have to kind of disregard a lot of our own patterns and biases and, and perceptions like perspectives entirely and like you said like like see things and that's where it is helpful to get deep into the inner workings of what these convolutions are what these neural network Can nodes are it's actually literally an example of yeah. one, like a moment like even if it feels specific like what you were working on or like i mean whatever you can say but like that made you think this yeah, I mean, just just literally looking at the, you can pull if you're doing computer vision neural network, you can actually pull like the processing of that node, 
and look at the image and you'll see something that looks like, I mean, it looks like an acid trip. I mean, it's really mind blowing, but that is at that moment, that is the analysis of that image. And there could be like, oh my gosh, like there's patterns of things here that I never thought huh. were there and they're there and I see them. That's when it starts clicking that you're like, oh, like a computer is able to see things that I have never seen. And it's like, and then when you start uh, seeing them, it opens your eyes to them and you do start seeing them. So now like uh -huh. when I do look at things, I see things in vertical slices and horizontal slices and color gradients and, and depth maps, you know what I mean? <laughs> because uh -huh. like once you start realizing that that's the way computers see things, you, you realize the depth of information that we, our brain has to filter out because we don't have time or yeah. need to actually, to actually take all that information in, right? We only need whatever, you know, there's an object here, I pick it up, you know, and mm -hmm. I drink from it because it's a cup. <laughs> So, well, it's so kind of like thing. you're describing a little bit um, the idea of mirroring, not straight up like a mirror, but like compute, even a computer and analyzing a thing and, and giving you that the grid or whatever that you're seeing. That's in a way mirroring, yeah. right? Because it doesn't to have those thoughts, it doesn't need to show it to you, but you need to see what it's doing. So it needs to print out a mirror of what it's doing. And yeah, yeah. It, this is going to be such a stretch for you, I think, for me to bring this up. But I'm making a connection. Well, I read tarot sometimes for fun. And sure. to me, a lot of like over time, I was like, I just want to learn and get better. And I've just been building it intuitively. So I probably fuck it up. But the way I do it from when I first started and now, now I kind of look and I first just like look at patterns before I even look up anything and go, what am I feeling? Mm -hmm. What do I see? And I've kind of in a way like very slowly trained my brain computer to start seeing things that way and it, those things yep. are always there I just didn't see them before but now I see when cards have similar shapes and colors and I see when they're contrasting with different places in different positions uh, I don't think that's I don't think it's a stretch at all I think you're hitting on exactly what we're talking about but that's the kind of thing that I would say if I brought that into a Silicon Valley like tech room I'd get laughed at and that's why I, feel no, like I, I think you're absolutely wrong I think you'd, oh, they, really? they'd, you'd be you'd be you'd be among peers so you think people are <laughs> really into uh, a, a pseudoscience because that's kind of like astrology and the occult to me feels so yes, connected because, to the brain. It's a mirror of what we think. Because they still exist and they're yeah. here. And you know what I mean? Like, like I think that true technologists and scientists, they are interested in the entire physical and emotional and spiritual world because it's all there. It's, there. it's all, it does More affect our lives. information and data. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not saying that everyone would be like that. I mean, but that's how I look at it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, my main thing. A fun job would be in all these big rooms because I think as things get more like closer to the singularity or whatever, there's everything needs to be more interdisciplinary. Not because it really is. It's just that we're just meshing fields so fast. But I think a fun job that they'll probably never allow is like every kind of big room like that that has everyone who spent a lot of time studying things should just have like one chaos wild card who's like a non-tech, non-academic person who might be bringing like experience, like let's say it's like a, a, a retired Olympic runner, whatever, but like just someone who has yeah, yeah. such a different life, so different where you almost don't know if it'll come in handy and they just are there in the room to like ask stupid questions, but to also, because they're human and if you're trying to create a universal algorithm, it's like, well, you guys all have the same brains. Yes, th this guy is an Olympic medalist, but he probably still has like you'll bleed when you cut him or whatever so like it's whatever you introduce into humanity i think has to touch on all these extremes well something i did notice uh with a lot of companies that that even are tangentially with tech you know meaning like they could just focus on one really small aspect of it they started putting a lot more value in uh 
like data scientists, behavioral scientists, like library yeah. science, like a lot of like really interesting fields where it's like, and, they, and putting a lot of investment into empowering those teams, because instead of having kind of that guy in the room, they want someone who heads a department who looks at all that kind of like anomalous, non-related data. They have someone who's like really into visualizations. Like, I mean, I worked for a company for a number of years where we literally had a visualization guy. He would come up with a wall-sized posters of like, acid trippy looking like visualizations of data, but that was super important to mm. wrap our heads around the expanse of what it is that we were talking about to, to, to know that there was so many different perspectives of ways of looking at things. I think all those things have gained um, clout in yeah. scientific and, and data science communities because you're looked at as very limited if you're only limiting yourself to like this narrow, linear, one-dimensional view of data. And that's what I mean, it's a very competitive field. So when we talk about like, you know, algorithms that will be biased one way or another, I don't I don't see that as much as a danger because you're gonna be called out on that and kind of cast away pretty quick. It's like pretty mm. amateurish. But that's implying <laughs> that people who are getting hurt have a voice and power, which I think we do take for granted here in America and it's starting to become more, um, threatened but there's a lot of places mm. where people don't like i mean china is an example where they're literally censored mm. from using google and they are often at the forefront of technology because these companies don't have to think about ethics as much but it does yeah, get into this <laughs> yeah it gets into this gray territory where you're um not necessarily benefiting everyone but maybe as a leader you think you're benefiting the overall country's image and growth but how many people are you hurting so yeah, i don't know yeah. i think and there's a it's tricky it's really tricky and i that's that's where i get a little like i know i wouldn't survive in the tech world because a lot of it is driven by this analytical brain which it needs to be just to spend all this time with math and numbers you have to be kind of driven by that and it's profitable but i kind of wish people spent yeah, more time know? ethically and philosophically thinking about like every other day should just be like sit down and ha to have tea and just talk about your like childhood and honestly more you're gonna have a much better facebook if everyone at facebook like talked about their childhood more at work <laughs> yeah but i will tell you where it is disappointing and hard for me is not so much in uh you know the people not being hurt being not represented and stuff because i think that a lot of that is so discussed in other circles of society and i do look at our society i mean i'm extremely progressive and i do look at us being more progressive than ever in our thoughts and more open and inclusive and that really does feed into these these um you know these technology uh companies and things like that because a lot of times there's the same people that that are on the kind of the forefront of the progressive thought experiments that, that feed into the technologies but where it does disappoint me is economics and it's at the end of the day economics rules the day yeah. it is whatever is cheaper whatever is going to make the most money and that's where things fail ethically and that's where it's just like all the time like for mm -hmm. example you can create the most killer whatever application machine learning and the company will go and hey like this other company in china says they could do it faster because they don't have to deal with the ethics of uh, data collection the way you do so they can deliver it to us this much faster it's going to be this much more effective and you're kind of stuck you're like yeah but they they're not it's kind of like factories in china right it's like mm. yeah but the ethics aren't there and it's like yeah we don't really care as much as we do about money but see, <laughs> this is where and i think we can learn more from actually understanding um brain development and history because I watched American Factory. I don't know if you saw that documentary, but it, it, it was a few years ago. American Factory. It's um, produced yes, by yeah. Higher Ground, the Obama's production company. But it kind mm -hmm. of follows the GE plant when it got bought and reopened by a Chinese yep. company. But as an American company, clearly the money was from China. It's very obvious in the way they did things. They tried to do it by the rules here, but they were just 
eventually very frustrated with the bureaucracy of America and how inefficient it was. And what I noticed is like we kind of come around like we for so long, the Western world was exploiting a lot of the cheap labor in China. And now as they're getting wealthier, they're coming here to kind of exploit the labor here in the, the way that they've been trained to work. So even they were like, we're going to be slower because we know Americans are slow, but they didn't even realize how much slower. And, and then all the Americans complain, but it's like, well, why was it OK when you guys did it to them? And that really begs the question, because at the time they're like, well, we were paying them more than they were making. But shouldn't that be more of a sign that nobody should be making that little? Right. So right. I think what I'm I'm what I'm hearing, like I do agree with you about economical short term, like people want to make money now. But I think there are like these out of the box ways that if they've started bringing in people who don't think so traditionally because they didn't go through the same academic path could really break yeah. out of like, I mean, I don't want to go really go into software. Hope, engineering. <laughs> well, I'll give you like a few examples. I just thought of for fun, but I'm like, these are things that could totally work and wouldn't be hard and technology exists. Right. Like, uh, I mean, Uber is like a shitty company, but let's say a club yeah. that wanted to reopen or not reopen, sorry, open. I was thinking reopen cause they're all closed, but let's say a club yeah. that was, <laughs> let's say clubs were reopen and one that wanted to promote, um, to uh, like you can using data instead of just being like, oh, this block has a lot of clubs, so it's a good place to go. They might be able to analyze, oh, it actually looks like when a really cool club is just like over 10 minutes away from the next nearest one, people tend to stay longer because mm -hmm. it's good. So then using mm -hmm. that, they might be like, well, what if to incentivize them to stay, we have like uh, a deal with Uber. So like they can actually prepay, like clubs spend so much money on promo anyways. They, uh, you get $10, which is pretty good, but it's just one drink for them. If you, um, you know, stayed between this window or, you know, you're there at close or whatever, and then you get an Uber home and it's free. And it's like, it's just a way to use marketing money, but in a more creative way. But it, it kind of, uh, it requires a little bit of like foundational thinking, right? Because it's a little yeah. bit more strategic than it is just like yeah. the app wouldn't exist without someone thinking this. Um, another idea, so way, like, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say the way your brain is working is actually how you overcome that problem. Meaning like when I, when I was talking about the challenges of economics at the end of the day, it means that it's a challenge. It means it's a business challenge. And that's something that we also face every day in developing this stuff. It's like, then you have to come up with more creative, comprehensive, longer term, you know, like you just described, it's like those, that you have to come up with more to overcome that economic barrier. But I think a lot of the top, top money guys just, the reason they're so disconnected is because they don't necessarily live like everyone. So they're only analyzing behaviors right. from like a paper and it feels like they're looking at ants and like, how do we take advantage? Whereas like, I mean, I'm sure there are, you know, situations that I don't understand either, but all the ones I'm thinking about other ones that affect me. So I feel like it's so important to have someone from communities that are being affected by technology in the, I, like, I the quote writers I would room love that. <laughs> well, the other and one something is, else that happens is they uh, defer indefinitely. That's what I don't like either. Like meaning yeah. like Facebook can kind of say, well, you know, we, we, we know there's a problem with ads and bots and, you know, Twitter mm. knows there's a problem with bots, but it's like, we can fix it. We're working on it. But in the meantime, it's, it's yeah, cool in the meantime, because we need just to keep like giving us your data and we'll just make the yeah, world worse. Yeah. It's like, you should have so, you I mean, should be uh, on time out. You should have to go away for a while. Well, okay. Yeah. So here's another one because you brought up the China thing and I just want to like put it in even more, like hammer this home even more. Um, and I know I, to like a finance Wall Street guy, they'd be like, she's stupid, but I could make you money. Okay. A lot of, I feel like helping people is actually very profitable if you do it in a way that isn't 
just helping people. Like ultimately, if people feel good, they'll want to spend money. If all their needs are met, they'll want to spend money. So people don't think like that because they want to hoard. But like, let's say a, co a company in China was like, we'll do it for cheaper. But if you truly knew you had something like really great that like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing in 10 years. Like if someone wants cash in their pocket now, I mean, you could be like, literally the free year like like you can you can find ways that you're actually investing and with knowledge like these seem like risks but if you really knew like okay well china can do this quickly and cheap now because they're trying to get competitive but we have all these like l like i don't know let's say like your company actually has like a organic what, what's the word ip whatever brains mm -hmm. that are like okay well they're copying us so that means they don't have anything original because if they did they wouldn't be copying us so why don't i actually make it like free for the first year, whatever, some co incredible yeah, contract. Yeah. But you're like, but my brains that I have and they're gonna stick around are gonna create the next thing. And by then we'll be locked in. And then nobody thinks like this because it seems risky, but I think this is why people need to focus more on getting all the information. Because if you could yeah. say, here's all the information, look, here's how much money we'll make in three years and you can actually prove it, then people are like, okay, sounds good. But nobody wants that because of, it's scary. But a lot of times, a lot of times, these are kind of ingredient technologies that build a bigger product, and that's the thing too is that like as you go up the chain, you may have the team that's like kind of selecting this one ingredient technology, who the vendor is for that, but then they have to present, and then like you know that's that's one of like ten items, yeah. and the economics of that, you know, at the end of the day, it's like we got to get this cheaper. I mean, there's just a lot more complexity to it. I think it's going to be kind of case by case depending on the application technology and the kind of company that wants to license. It. But, <laughs> can I tell you? A, a, can I tell you? <laughs> I don't mean to keep like you know. No, 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 no. Uh, this is really good because I'm. Down, I want. But... It's good to like actually be able to match ideas up with reality because I, I, I know yeah, a lot of people yeah. in the industry are thinking about these things and it's just I don't hear what they're, I don't hear it from their side. So I want to ask you a app idea. There's not really an app idea, but it's I've thought about like oh how could I use data to help with uh, what's going on now with COVID in LA. Yeah, yeah. And so I have an idea and I I probably there's many reasons why it wouldn't work, but I'm curious from you what you hear are the problems. So. Okay. I, it's kind of a form of contact tracing, but I know ethically, like America, we wouldn't just be giving up all our data or all of our locations, even if right. I know they have that. Google has that. I know they can't just do that. Yeah. But if there was an app where it was like, um, let's say it's between like the business bureau, whatever. I don't know what they're called. The municipality, the like bureau. within the okay. cities, they have, you know, like kind of coalitions of businesses. So let's say it was like sponsored by the city and you can opt in, it's optional as a business, if you wanted to sort of join like one of the earlier phases to open, um, you would have to register kind of like a Yelp to be on this app. And then in order for people to go to your business in this phase, not forever, right? Because mm -hmm. LA is kind of in a really bad place now, you would have to get the app. So let's say I really wanted mm -hmm. to go to this restaurant downtown and they're on this app. And I, in order to go, I have to be on this app. So I would have to then check in to the uh, like check in when I'm there and uh, maybe routinely get tested let, let's say every two weeks or whatever so now we have a closed network of businesses that are profiting and people yeah. who are enjoying it seems like a win-win situation the only thing that's scary is like there is contact tracing so let's say someone does get COVID you would get an yeah. alert like someone at a restaurant you went to you know got COVID so now it's shutting down but because it's so accurate they just would have to go through the steps of like cleaning everything up and you trust that if it's open, it's good. You know, 14 days closed down is better than not clo uh, closed forever. And um, I think a lot of restaurants are scared to find the truth, which is that it's probably spreading yes. faster than they think. But if we did yes. this, 
I feel like m people would opt in and it would make people money. But now I'm curious from a, like a machine learning data guy, like what do you hear that you're like, this wouldn't work? Or like, why don't we do something? Why <laughs> don't we do something I don't, like I don't, this? Because I don't, I don't hear the problems on the technology side, honestly. Technology's all there and that's, that's all doable. I think, I mean, just my gut reaction where I think it would fail is that things are so open and chaotic in the US right now with the way things are running, is that any business is going to be very wary of something that provides any additional limitation to them doing more business right now or anything that they want to do is just to increase business. Yeah. So in order to limit people because they have to have this happen and further open the door to maybe, you know, your some other party knowing about your COVID status and you not being in control of the messaging behind that and what happens. I mean, I don't know. I mean, just, just, just right off the bat, I feel like there's so much distrust and fear and, you know, uh, people really just wanting more than anything on the small business side of things to have the freedom to, yeah. you know, well, so to increase commerce instead of limiting it in any way, you know, even though longer term it would, you're, 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 uh, you know, what you're stating is that it would increase it over time. Right. But that would have to build like a level of this kind of this period of building trust in it and, right. and kind of building the critical mass that, that path almost, you know, it does relate to tech relates to technology because almost any like technological, technological idea, they sound really good until you understand the, the pain it gets to that critical mass sure. of users. I mean, that's where, yeah, you would have to start probably kind of in a smaller closed town that's easier to control. But um, in my in this version, it's pre we just opened up and let loose, which is what we did, which clearly doesn't work. Like it was we were shut yeah, down yeah, and yeah. then maybe like an early experimental stage of opening was like, OK, everyone's going to be allowed to open when we hit this good number. But there are a few people who have opted in who can open and sell things. But in order to do so, you have to opt. So it's almost like a better choice. But I, I like it would have been a good alternative to what we did, but we didn't yeah, do it. Yeah, we just nothing. <laughs> well, okay, because this yeah. is also where we kind of tie, just to tie it back, we're kind of nearing the end, but I want to tie it back to the beginning when you but, talked about objectives and what the yeah. equation is, is trying to solve is. Like, yeah. what I kind of heard based on what you said of like, not every, it would be, you said this would be good if everyone's goal was just to cure it in the long run. And if you asked everyone on the street, like, hey, do you want COVID to go away? We'd all be like, yeah. But then if you asked an individual, like, do you want COVID to go away or do you want to eat at your favorite restaurant tonight, even though it's right. going to hurt? Right. You'd be like, right. I want to eat at my favorite restaurant tonight. So yeah, exactly. now these computers, like literally the computers in our brain are not doing the thing that they're saying they are, right? If all of our goals were right. actually to make COVID go away, I feel like, well, I mean, the writing's on the wall. What we're doing- well, Some other countries have done it. <laughs> yeah, what we're doing does not point to that is the goal, what, whatever people exactly. say. So the, so then it's like, okay, so what is the goal? Because there is another goal. Like there's another, there are other equations here doing things that are not, that are not just failing at our goal. They're failing, they're maybe succeeding or failing. I don't know, but they're doing something mm -hmm. else. So I think using the, that computer analogy helps to illustrate like, we do sometimes have to just look at the behavior versus what people say because yeah it's not really that's it clearly isn't the goal like if it was it wouldn't be this difficult and you have to remove the human tendencies from that objective but that's... if we understand it we could fold it in too so i think yes, there's absolutely. ways to yep. yeah yep. oh gosh this is so i mean sorry i feel like i'm definitely talking to you uh in circles but this is also interesting to me um but I, we're kind of well, nearing the end, so, <laughs> well, can you, maybe we'll just to wrap up this um, 
conversation and we can you know i'm sure people can reach out well maybe you'll give your plugs at the end and people can reach out to you or whatever or if people want a second episode let me know um but do you as like kind of a wrap-up uh, have any like advice for people like what's something that's like a good practice that people should be thinking about and it you don't have to yeah. think too broad it can be as simple as like something that doesn't feel tech related but that you think yeah. people should be doing to kind of understand uh and be safe with, in, with their data and like how they perceive the world yeah i mean that's the thing is i do wish people to be curious and and really do take the time to understand the tech technology that they are using because i think a few of us are like you are and i am you know but i do have a lot of friends that just kind of blindly trust whatever is trending, whatever is happening, whatever is, you know, they want to use because it's whatever appeal it has to it. And then if I try to talk to them maybe about what's actually happening underneath, then they are very resistant to it because sure. in a way it's like, don't ruin it for me, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. But I mean, there's so many implications that are starting to come to fruition. And what I, what I don't like is when people come around and say, like, for example, like, you know, when they come around and say, like, well, what do you mean, like, this company's using my data in this way? I didn't get permission for that. Or, you know, what I mean, it's like, well, yeah. you actually did. I mean, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of, like, you know, well, did you read the terms of it? You know, the, the, the terms Nobody of Nobody ever does. So, Even yeah. knowing all yeah, this, I, I don't still either. don't read it. And I'm like, yeah. I know they're, I mean, I'm not just not going to be able to, if I've agreed to, I'm going to do it no matter what, then it doesn't matter. I can't change. I can't be like, actually, I don't yeah, like yeah. this. Exactly. And I, I assume the worst. <laughs> That's what I do. And I, when I see a terms of service, I just assume the worst. So anyway, but I think that just increasing understanding, at least then as things develop, as things come out, then you have a little more, you know, wherewithal about what's happening and you can make some decisions because there are going to be more policies and more, you know, lawsuits and more. And I think that as a collective, uh, you know, public, the more informed we are about the nuances of these new areas mm -hmm. that we're treading on, then we'll be able to kind of understand and make better decisions um, later on and not leave it. What I don't like is when we kind of leave it to just the tech companies to self-police and the, you know, Congress who doesn't know what, what it, you know, computer is, <laughs> to, you know, to, to right. try to manage that. It's like, no, we all have to kind of take a responsibility to, to understand the world that we live in. Yeah. So that's a really that's good way to put it. Cause I, I think it's, a, I try to look at the positives because I think things are so, I'm so pessimist to begin with. Like I start where everything's yeah. negative and I'm like, well, I don't want it to get worse, even though it is pretty bad. Um, but I don't mean that in a, like a blind oblivious way. And I like the way you said it. It's not about, Distru it's not about distrusting it. That's not the mm -hmm. point. The point is getting more information and it can change. It's like a person who's mm -hmm. fast is not born at their fastest, even though genetically some people are faster than others. You still have mm -hmm. to run and like you'll probably like running because you're good at it and you'll train and you'll get better. In the same way, like if you have these tendencies to want to learn, like it might be hard at first, but I think you should yep. follow it. Like you're, it's going to get easier and you'll and it'll help. It'll make you, you know, I don't know. It'll make things better. <sighs> That's my yeah. diatribe. Um, yeah, thank I you like so it. much for sharing <laughs> this. Um, is there anything you want to plug? I know it doesn't have to be tech related. I know you're an artist as well. Like where can people 
or I mean, you don't have to share, but if you want uh, yeah. people to, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, private. I mean, you know, okay. I, I, it's funny. I, I'm in a lot of creative circles, and I kind of do my thing. I mean, at some point, I will in the future. I have some philosophical stuff I'm working on that I want to kind of put out there, but it's not ready yet. So I'll let you know later on. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. Oh well, since you brought up philosophy, maybe we'll end with this because I've been thinking about doing asking this more um, of people. And you'll all, you all have heard this question, and there's no right or wrong, but just curious how you answer. It's the trolley question. So uh, just to reiterate for people who've never heard it, uh, I, th yeah. I think I remember it right. You're driving a trolley, and you uh, if you go on, you're coming up to a junction, and if you keep going, you're going to run over uh, one person, I think. And then if you switch, it's going to be three. It's like so, right, there's different stories. I think it's one where it's like there's like prisoners on one side but i don't really like that one because it implies their their life is worthless so let's say there's three children in front of you playing and if you switch it you'll kill one grown adult man uh and just to make things weirder let's say he is an incel on reddit and is a men's rights activist uh do you pull the switch <laughs> and you don't have time to do it you only have time to pull the switch <laughs> there's That's no right or wrong answer way. and there's also i'm just curious how you answer so if I, if I pull the switch, I... Have I you ever I, thought about I, the trolley question? No, I haven't really because I don't think about things that don't really apply to me. Okay. Wait, but <laughs> isn't this like, a big you know, philosophical question? What do you got? I mean, I'm only like curious. It is, from but like, I mean, but I'm really, I'm TV. such a realist. I mean, that's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, so, well, that's, I mean, that's one way to answer it. I mean, my, my yeah. answer, my answer is I would never put my, I, like, I would, I would never put myself on a trolley that where this was possible, you know what I mean? But yeah. that's, you know. that's a good answer. I mean, like I said, okay. these are open-ended questions. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because oftentimes we get limited in the binary. You're given yeah. two choices in the question, but why do you trust me as the question asker? I didn't create yeah. the scenario, so there may be another way out. Okay, thanks my, for my... coming on the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, you can follow this podcast at Tell Me Anything Pod and follow me at Larissa T on Twitter and Instagram and tell me what you would do or not do or how you would answer to get out of answering it. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> exactly. Hi, I'm Erin. And I'm Nicole. And we're the hosts of the comedy podcast, Dude, That's Fucked Up. Join us every Wednesday for an irreverent discussion on topics such as light cannibalism, a la the Donner Party, JFK's meth dependency, cryptid fanfic, and even pubes. It's available now on the Hoo Ha Ha Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Go to DTFUPodcast.com for more information. You know what's not fucked up? This podcast, you butthole. Eee. This has been a hoo-ha-ha -ha podcast.